Hello and welcome to Storytellers of STEM. My name is Rachel Bellani. Today's storyteller is Dr. Bharathi Bhavana. Bharathi is a research scientist at the Institute of High Performance Computing in Singapore. And today we talk about her work there using computational simulations to model wind and pollution in urban areas. And in the very beginning of this, she teaches me about fluid dynamics. And just so you know, spoiler alert, fluids do not have to be water, which is awesome. And I was so so thrilled to learn that, as you will hear. Brathy's journey is so interesting. Her background is in engineering and her PhD is in applied mathematics. And just thinking about doing a PhD in applied mathematics kind of makes my brain shut down. And she crosses multiple countries to finally land in Singapore, where she is now. We talk fluid dynamics, as I mentioned, what modeling is, how modeling works, computer programs that they use, her journey and her career, and the type of work she's doing now. Also, Bharathi and I are both members of Homer Bound's fifth cohort, known as HP5, which is how I've gotten to know her over the past two years. And in a fun twist, Bharathi asked me questions about my work, and honestly, it was rather fun being on the other end of the microphone, and I rather enjoyed being interviewed, actually. All right, enjoy. I want to start with, will you give me just like, you know, quick little introduction to yourself? Sure. Uh, Where do I start? Okay, I'll start from where I am now and what I'm doing and go backwards. (laughs) Perfect. So I'm now in Singapore working for a research organization uh, and the department I work for is uh, fluid dynamics. Uh, and the projects that I work are generally in environmental fluid dynamics uh, and they are mostly urban related flows. By that, what I mean is uh, I, I do computation, computational simulations. It's called computational fluid dynamics to model the wind and pollution in urban areas, typically where I'm living now, that's uh, Singapore. So I moved to Singapore end of 2014. And prior to that, I was in Southampton doing my postdoc. Uh, Pretty much uh, this topic, it was then I got introduced to this topic actually. So over there I was, doing mostly academic research oriented, whereas now I'm doing uh, practical related. (laughs) So applying the academic thing onto the real world problems in a way, or trying rather. (laughs) And before that, I I did my PhD in Manchester University. And uh, my master's was in, my master's and undergrad was in India. So that's my journey. (laughs) Yeah, you've been all over. (laughs) Okay, so my first question is, um, you said fluid dynamics, which my first thought was water, but it sounds, you know, because that's a liquid fluid, I don't know, but it sounds like you're modeling like wind and pollution, which I feel like is maybe not always a liquid, and uh, I'm just Maybe you just yeah. don't understand what fluid dynamics is, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. People generally tend to think fluid means water, but fluid can be liquid or gas. Or in our textbooks, that's how it's defined. So fluid can be liquid or gas, and liquid can be anything. Gas can be anything. So wind and pollution 
comes into that category. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I learned something already. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly, I've never taken any sort of like engineering class in my entire life. So, uh, okay. So that's, that's cool. Fine. <laughs> um, how does one model wind and pollution and things like that? Like where, where does your data come from? What does modeling even look like? <laughs> you know, what, how does, it's like a black box to me, like what, what models yeah. are. I'm like, it goes into a computer, something happens to it. And then something comes out and that's all comes I know. Out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you, you said it in uh, very common terms in a very simple way. That is what exactly we do actually. So there are, uh, there are three steps. One is pre-processing. One is uh, actually doing the simulations and the other thing is post-processing. So uh, pre-processing is where, for example, I, I want to uh, understand, say we have few buildings, okay? Uh, say you're downtown in wherever you are living, we have few buildings. And so first we need to get the footprint of the building or the 3D geometry of the buildings. And then we know that the uh, wind direction can be predominantly from uh, a few directions. And so we, we provide that as inputs to the model. Now the model actually consists of a few uh, basic equations. They are called Navier-Stokes equations, which are actually, uh, I think it's still a million dollar problem. You know, nobody has could actually solve or analytically the full Navier-Stokes equations, but I need to cross check that. Anyway, so we do the, numerical we find the numerical solution of those equations and then understand how the wind is distributed among the buildings that's one way so it's basically solving the equations and in a way that you it boils down to some something like matrix you know, you remember the matrix like AX equal to B, something like that, mm -hmm. but they are highly nonlinear. And so solving them takes uh, quite a bit of time, depending on how complex the geometry is or how big your matrix is. That's how it is. Okay. Broadly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Potentially ridiculous question. Uh, what kind of like computer program do you use to do all uh, of that in? Sure, sure. Actually, those are good questions. <laughs> the computer program can be Fortran, C++. And uh, these days, uh, we see many uh, nice codes coming in Python as well, or MATLAB. Um, and there are also softwares, commercial softwares available to solve uh, so not not just these problems, but in general, the fluid dynamics related problems. And uh, there is a huge open source community there where the codes are written and most of our, most of us researchers uh, usually aim for those <laughs> because the commercial softwares are really good and really expensive as well. Yeah, open source is awesome. <laughs> these, especially in the last, probably a decade or so it's it's yeah it's growing it's growing fast well that's good yeah I ask those questions because like 
I, you know, models are so important, but they're like only as good as the data that goes in. Mm. But like, I didn't know, like, where is the data going in? What is it going into? But now I know. So that's awesome. Actually, you know, uh, we have, when we were students, we were taught this uh, uh, just to remind us how important the model and the setup that we uh, that we built to run the simulations is basically garbage in, garbage out. So one has to make sure that whatever uh, you are preparing the pre at the pre-processing stage, make sure that you are generating the mesh. We general we usually generate a three-dimensional mesh if it's a three-dimensional problem, and ensure that the boundary conditions and satisfies the physical laws and things like that so yes otherwise it's garbage (laughs) yeah (laughs) that makes total sense okay so what what does your job look like day to day then I'm sure you know days vary but like you know what's Hmm. an average typically yeah Uh, for my role specifically yeah it's it's mostly working on the project. So uh, a, a, sci- a, research, uh, a researcher is usually uh, assigned a couple of projects. They can be either from industry or uh, research or government agency. So a typical day is working on a few projects simultaneously. And sometimes we have interns or students from the universities here. So, yeah, uh, that we have that aspect as well where we can actually communicate and do projects with the students or if, the, if there are interns, we train them or we give them the glimpse of what is research like. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, pre-COVID days... Uh, it also includes uh, socializing over lunch hour <laughs> and talking numerous uh, about discussing numerous topics. But yeah, that's pre-COVID era. Yeah, we'll get there someday. Back to that. <laughs> um, what I was going to ask is, do you have like a favorite type of project that you work on? Because it sounds like, you know, there's all kinds of different projects you could be working on. But is there like one type that you like more than others? And if so, what is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the projects that I worked on have unique challenges. So it would be unfair if I pick specifically one. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but but then I can I can I can tell you the one of the projects I worked on uh, because uh, what happened was the we published uh, we published results from the project and then later I that that paper got published in the in our uh, research organization magazine and so i also got to give a talk to the general public so it was basically about uh, if you have the tra- i mean you have the traffic on the road right so there is this pollution and uh, where should we place the pollution filters that can actually trap the pollution and give the clean air so yeah, that was one of the projects which was interesting. But I would say all projects are unique and they have their own challenges. There is a, always something to learn. <laughs> okay, that, that's a good segue because one of the things you said you wanted to talk about is the challenges in solving problems. And now it also sounds like the problems are always different. 
<laughs> yeah so although the governing equations and the numerical models that we use are more or less standard at least at least what i use more or less standard or very well established when it comes to the application to real world case it's it's like oh wow it fails here so you need to do something else uh, things like that and and that's one aspect of it and the second aspect is once you get a lot of data how do you process it okay you have to make sense of it right of course the, you have some typical things to look at okay um if you have some experiments done earlier then you could compare with those results to to see how well it fares or or if you have some benchmark cases that is also a good thing but if you are solving a, a new thing that's not done before then how do you know it's correct and and then what are the things that you need to look at other than just looking the standard thing standard curves uh basically i think you might have heard about turbulence right so a turbulence so yeah that that is what it is what we solve is turbulent flows and it's it's like a, yeah it's it's a lot for example uh, the one of the challenges that we usually encounter are related to the urban flows are geometry so geomet what do i mean by geometry is uh, say you take the downtown Hey y'all, it's Rachel here. I need to cut in for a second because something happened during the recording and I'm missing a minute of Bharati explaining this. So when she's talking about the geometry of the downtown area specifically, she says it's a lot of like cube-shaped three-dimensional things, you know, those would be buildings. And so you have to think about that kind of thing. And then she talks about if you were extracting those types of shapes for this model or whatever they're doing, then that is what she's talking about with geometry and how it's not just three-dimensional objects. And so that's where we're going next in this conversation. But in reality, that is not a down, that's not how a downtown looks like, right? It's like so many shapes and things like that. So geometry is like a bottleneck. Uh, whenever, if uh, whoever is doing the uh, urban related flows, yeah, geometry is one of the bottlenecks. Then the other thing is, uh, the size of the problem the because it's a three dimensional flow usually the number of okay for say a kilometer by kilometer square a kilometer by kilometer the depending on what you are looking at the number of uh, cells or the grid points can be easily in six digits wow <laughs> so uh, yeah so so once you have the computational resources then it's all fine it just takes from few hours to probably a couple of days but if you don't then yeah that's another challenge yeah i mean for lack of a better word all of these sound very challenging <laughs> <laughs> but actually you know these days computational resources are, are becoming i mean more and more are available and also becoming faster as the technology is growing uh, i think it's more of now the data is there what 
best you can do with the data how much you can actually mine the data to make sense of what you are looking for that that is actually a big challenge than the resources per se you mentioned technology and i i've asked a bunch of people this question where like what is the thing that's changing the most in your field and everybody's answer pretty much has been technology it is just changing <laughs> so rapidly it's amazing yeah and and as you know that machine learning and artificial intelligence are like the buzzwords these days mm-hmm. and so it has also yeah it is also now not not just now it's been there for a while in in the fluid dynamics field but it's more so now so there are there is a lot to catch up basically they are trying to understand if i have so much of data how can machine learning models actually can augment this and help to see new things so yeah there is there is a lot to learn yeah no kidding uh and it all sounds very complex to me who has like almost no math background <laughs> <laughs> well it's complex but fascinating for me your your topic your topic is like full hands on it's like wow it's physical it's not just mentally tiring but also physically tiring uh, your work so yeah to me that is all that is a different challenge altogether yeah that's funny i guess we're both suited for what we do but yeah it is like hands on like my hands right now my hands are tired i don't think i knew hands could do that <laughs> like cuz they're tired from like wow. literally grabbing the handles of the core and turning the core and pulling on it and pushing on it and driving the boat it was like this is a weird thing but yeah, very hands-on and that's just the way I like it. I would do less well in a very like math heavy sort of modeling right. world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Was I looked at LinkedIn. Is your PhD in applied mathematics? If so, that's <laughs> wow. Just wow. That's all I got for you. <laughs> well, I I would say that I jumped from engineering to applied mathematics just because I I really wanted to uh get into this uh, computational fluid dynamics field because my engineering was my undergrad was and masters was in civil engineering and this opportunity had come in Manchester I thought okay let me just grab it and see what I can make of it uh but yeah it was it it was daunting for me because first of all i'm switching i i'm not fantastic in maths i'm good in maths i'm okay so to do a phd uh, in in applied mathematics it was daunting but because it's like computational fluid dynamics and because i understand some aspects of it i thought okay i'll give it a try mm-hmm. and and then the other thing was yeah in a new country new culture yeah it was <laughs> yeah that's a lot kind of big changes all at once yeah it's a lot all at once um okay i have a maybe philosophical question are you the type of person who has like a very like a every step is planned or like has a plan for a little bit and then just like goes at whatever opportunity seems interesting next cuz i'm the second type <laughs> yeah i i have not planned any of this to be honest <laughs> all, all i wanted was I knew that I wanted to do something else after masters I mm-hmm. I want to switch field so I found and I and after fiddling for a year or so I realized okay let me try in fluid dynamics thing and then 
after PhD also, I wasn't sure. And I just grabbed the opportunity at, for my postdoc in Southampton. And that, yeah. And then I landed here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like that too. I'm just like, ooh, I'll go do that now. That sounds cool. Ooh, I'll go do that now. That sounds cool. <laughs> it's never really a grand plan here, but that's okay. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. What drew you to civil engineering in the first place? Okay, to be very honest. <laughs> so I, I need to give you some background of how I ended up there. So what happens is, uh, okay, after my high school, I had to do a two-year thing before going to the undergrad. So before, uh, for the undergrad, we need to give a, an entrance examination um, and based on, based on the rank you get, you will be assigned which which engineering you can get into. So oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so it so happened that where I was living, I could get civil engineering in that university, and if I don't mind living in a different town, I could go into electrical engineering. I chose to stay in my hometown and did civil engineering. <laughs> but but basically, yeah, I wanted to do engineering because there we had prospects of jobs afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like engineers are always going to be needed. So, <laughs> you know. Um, Okay, so then what was it that you said you wanted to switch, but like, why did you want to switch to, you know, after you did your master's? I, I don't know. It was like, I wanted, for some reason, I wanted to do the fluid dynamics thing, maybe because I saw interesting projects of my other peers when I was studying. So I thought, and, and also, yeah, back then it was also highly demanding thing uh, but then yeah so I wanted to learn because I, I found some really interesting things from my peers then yeah that's cool I was just curious I'm always just intrigued yeah. by what motivates people so yeah I was just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite thing about your job as a whole or is that another um, unfair question <laughs> <laughs> I would say that it's uh, it's very interesting to know the diversity of the projects that my department is involved in, and most of most of them. I mean, they are all obviously related to fluid dynamics, but some people work on wind farms, some people work on uh, ocean waves related things, some people are 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 with the you know um, geometry modeling something like that that can be related to your physical body or you know uh, any external thing so it's it's the diversity of the of the projects or the applications that we look into it's yeah it's quite interesting yeah I, that does sound interesting <laughs> okay another question which is the whole point of this podcast um, do you have any advice for someone interested in your field or a job like yours or, you know, anything like that? Uh, what I would say is, uh, I'll tell about myself so that, you know, whoever is listening to it may get some, 
some may, may learn something uh there is this huge imposter syndrome <laughs> yes <there is>. and <laughs> and and i would say that it's me who although i have this aspirations to learn to grow to contribute this thing is uh, this imposter syndrome whole kept holding me back but somehow i was i was i was pushing myself mostly because i'm inspired by people around me so i would say that if anybody is feeling that they are they are like inadequate or they can they may not fit into the rules fit into you know some certain specific roles that they want to i think they just have to get out of the comfort comfort zone and talk to people and and ask questions okay if this is daunting what is the next little step that they can take you know to get a little bit of experience towards that direction and and be open to that experience and just consider it as okay i'm going to explore and see what comes rather than i'm not good enough and things like that because i i think there you know sometimes we get intimidated or 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 afraid of approaching big professors or you know uh, those who establish themselves well in their field but more often than not if you approach them you'll be surprised how much they actually want to help you <laughs> yeah i mean i still struggle with that but i i try to push myself <laughs> so yeah. yes just go for it <laughs> yeah i think that's great advice i mean i have, have certainly felt the same where i felt like you know i didn't belong there or like i shouldn't go talk to professor whoever because of some perceived status mm. thing or imbalance or whatever But yeah i like that just go for it <laughs> <laughs> so if i may ask you had similar fears or you were you were pretty sure that you wanted to be here where you wanted to be yeah i think it's a a couple of things at play for me um i knew when i was going to college university whatever that i knew i wanted to do something like outdoor environmental biology something in that field um and then it wasn't until i was like graduating high school that i discovered like like wildlife biology is a thing you can major in and then have a job <laughs> in and i was like well that's what i want to do and so there was never any doubt for me that that's what i wanted to do but like my family was like you'll never find a job it will never make any money and i was like it'll be fine like i just went for it anyway <laughs> you know okay but i also felt justified in doing that because it wasn't like they were paying for my education i was paying for it so i was going to do whatever i wanted to do um, um and that's what i wanted to do but then you know when i was at university There were definitely situations where I was like, oh, I'm just like in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm just an undergrad, you know, whatever. Um but the program I was in was quite small, so that was probably maybe only like early on and then later, you know, you got to know the professors. You got to have the professors over and over and over again. Mm. Um and it just that some of that sort of just fell away, I guess. Um mm. but yeah, I think it's sort of like it was an evolution of things for me. <laughs> yeah that actually I, i didn't know until you mentioned that there is 
there is such a topic and actually people do this kind of work i even don't i don't know either i'm so sorry but yeah yeah it's, it's a fascinating thing. <laughs> yeah it's really fascinating how how many things are out there you just don't know i know exactly uh yeah exactly yeah and so then my degrees because i have a masters and a bachelors are both in wildlife ecology which is you know, wildlife have to live places. So it's like heavy on like the plant sort of in habitat sort of work, which is perfect because now I'm doing wetlands work and I'm not so much dealing with wildlife, but I am dealing with like all these wetland habitats and stuff. And so, you know, wildlife live there. So it's kind of, it's, it's like a tangent off of what I was doing, you know, Um, but it was prepared me just fine. So yeah. Is it like uh, taking the data it's like preserving the wildlife because the, so much climate change uh, is happening or is going to happen that might affect the wildlife and the coastal areas. Yeah. So what in my job now, what I'm focused on is purely like habitat related, I guess, like we're dealing with plants and soils and water, not so much, you know, birds or fish or anything like that, but I feel like wildlife management is basically just habitat management. So even though we're not directly managing or trying to do things specifically for a certain species, like everything that we're doing by trying to restore and conserve habitat Mm. is going to benefit all of these species. So it's sort of like, it's like sort of taking the roundabout way, I guess. Like we're not directly doing this specifically for this. We're doing it for a variety of reasons, but it is going to have benefits. Um, But that's what I work on now. I'm now listening to this book, Tapestries of Life. Oh. Uh, and it's uh, uncovering the life-saving secrets of the natural world by a Norwegian uh, uh, professor, Anne. So as you're explaining to me about your work, it reminded me of her book. So she's all into nature and conser- conservation and how each and every tiny bit out there is 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 so important <laughs> you know and yeah. how they all play a role in mm-hmm. in this world and how important they are it's, it reminds me when you're speaking about your work it reminded me of her book yeah okay cool I'm gonna have to look that up yeah to give like a very simple example I guess is like Louisiana is on you know the north coast of the Gulf of Mexico and we have barrier islands that formed originally from Mississippi river outputs as it like moved around across, I don't have lots of years, you know? Um, and we've been doing this, but when I say we, I mean, the state of Louisiana has been doing barrier Island restoration. And so we're doing that because a it's like protection for the co- the coast that's interior from that. That's a little bit more mm. fragile. And B it also provides like habitat for, shorebirds that nest there or pelicans or whatever like so it's like multi-faceted as like a, a very mm. simple example um so it protects other habitat and people and cities and everything behind it but mm-hmm. then also provides wildlife habitat is it like conservation yeah it's a little bit of both like we're trying to conserve what we already have and is still like stable and in good condition and then we also have areas that are either have been degraded where they're almost non-existent or like in bad shape and we're restoring those. So it's a little bit oh, of both. Like it totally depends on the area around the coast. Yeah. Some places are in better shape than others. 
It's pretty interesting and very complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. I want to switch gears for a second and ask you yeah, sure. how, how you heard about Homeward Bound since that's how we got connected. Yeah. I actually subscribed to a newsletter when I was uh, in, when, when I was doing my postdoc in Southampton. It's, it's related to the work I was doing. It's uh, then the newsletter is from International Association of Urban Climate. And in that newsletter, I saw Melissa Hart. She was one of the HBers. I, I don't remember if it's one, two or three, but uh, she mentioned about this in that newsletter and, and, the, and what this program is about. And so I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and then I wrote to a few people asking, what is it like? Whomever I could reach from the website, uh, I was asking what was their experience like? Yeah, with uh, no exception, everybody said it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody did mention you don't know what you're learning but then it it's an incredible experience <laughs> I, I guess it's because uh, uh, everybody is doing as part of their I mean they are everybody I mean I, I'm sure like most of us have their uh, have our own things to do and then doing this simultaneously right so it's not possible to catch up all the time but then the impact, everybody said they could feel it after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not quite, you know, our cohort isn't quite done yet, but I certainly <laughs> feel, feel more, I don't know, uh, aware of like the things that are going mm. on and like how I interact with coworkers or how I feel a little bit more confident at work and like for all these things that we've learned it was like a sort of a snowball like I didn't really realize it was happening and suddenly I have a snowman of like all these new things I know <laughs> yeah very interesting yeah but yeah I agree it's been a great experience but I'm always just intrigued to see how people hear about it because it's you know it was really random how I heard about it so yeah yeah how, how did you hear about it my friends told me about it and so they two friends of mine from grad school moved to Australia and then lived there for, I think four years or something and then moved to the Netherlands. And then I was visiting them in the Netherlands and talking about like life and work and, you know, feeling stagnant in my job or whatever. And they told yeah. me about this because when they lived in Australia, they knew someone who was in an early cohort. And I was just yeah. like, this is a really random, but like very, I don't know, serendipitous. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's how I heard about it. Do you have a favorite part of the program yet? I mean, I know we're not done, but is there a favorite thing about it that yeah. you like? What I like is whenever we all come together for the reflection session or, you know, any catch-up calls. <laughs> that, that's, that's nice because I like this international perspective and how everyone is, everyone is, uh, learning from this program and, and also going through this special COVID period. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, I uh, I like these discussions and interactions. And also, I must say that the master classes this year has been really good. A mm -hmm. lot of things to absorb, but it's good to know that, okay, these things are there so we can look into whenever we want to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 
yeah. i'd say the whenever we come on to the reflection sessions or or zoom calls like this mm-hmm. yeah i know i was finding it really hard in the beginning to like do the reflective practice stuff that they were trying to get us to do because i i couldn't make myself sit down mm-hmm. and actually do it but then when it's like a zoom call and a calendar invite and like then doing it as like a group activity sort of you know yeah. like that i could do so that made it like and it started to like help me process things a little bit better than whatever method i was using before yeah yeah i i would agree the doing homework by ourselves is like not so motivating mm-hmm. yeah i agree i mean for some people it may be but yeah not for me yeah i found myself being better about it in the beginning but you know since our program got extended an extra year I've, if I've, <laughs> i've been struggling a little bit this year to do all my homework on time uh i mean i'm making progress but then it became field season so all bets are off <laughs> so i haven't done any homework all the time i'm i'm busy catching up with the recordings <laughs> yeah especially there are many in the past couple of months so yeah yeah I mean, hooray for technology that we have recordings and we can do it all online. Like, I mean, that's so great that that exists to enable all of this. So yay for that. You mentioned earlier that there were people along the way who inspired you. You mentioned that in some some other answer to a question I asked you. So I'm curious who inspires you or maybe who are your role models or anything sort of in that realm. i would say at every stage uh, i i i actually i consider myself uh, grateful to be surrounded by by people whom i can learn from so not not taking any names specifically but when i was doing my masters uh, the that whole environment is like everybody is it's it's a research institution so it has both masters as well as phd and and most of them are doing like very good research so it's just that environment was inspiring and then when i was doing my phd again talking to peers opening new world for me because i had no such exposure and over here as well because the place where i am it's um most of my colleagues they are from different countries again look you know when people from different backgrounds come together or different uh, like they are coming from different perspectives and experiences right so mm-hmm. i would say the environment and 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 my peers <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh, yeah and i'm sure like you know it probably changes over time as you move around mm-hmm. too so yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have two non-STEM related questions for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> What are your hobbies? Ah, okay. I must say that for the past one year or so, I have been listening to a lot of books. <laughs> Up until then I was reading, but then I, I discovered that, you know, uh, in the beginning of uh, March or April when everything was shut down, mm-hmm. the the only way is to go to the digital content as much as possible mm-hmm. and i discovered these audiobooks and because <laughs> listening is faster than reading 
<laughs> at least for me uh-huh. i was like wow i i was uh, voraciously listening <laughs> if there is any such term <laughs> so yeah uh, and also i picked uh, origami I, i i must say that i'm not excellent but i really like the way to create this nice uh, nice beautiful <laughs> um and geometries with the paper it it really was uh, yeah it it really was good i i was wondering why did i why didn't i pick up and sometimes i like sketching cartoons again i'm not an expert but i just like to you know uh, especially when the meetings are boring i just take a pen and then <laughs> draw some cartoons <laughs> i have this book which i want to actually it has the book has 100 different uh, uh, cartoons it's for beginners i wanted to do it i think so far i did only 10 or 20 not more but it's nice you have all different kinds of uh, cartoons like um like uh, superheroes like uh, sea creatures or you know so many different types so i like that <laughs> That's so much fun. I love that. <laughs> uh yeah, and not to mention of binge watching sometimes. <laughs> yeah, as you do in a pandemic, it's fine. <laughs> Or in regular uh, life in my case. <laughs> and and yes, I like I like walking in the woods. Uh Singapore is a small country but it has a lot of greenery and and there are there is a nature reserve and few and and uh, what is it a botanic gardens which has this world heritage uh, site recognition oh. very beautiful yeah it sounds walking, amazing walking among nature <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome um so the the second question is what are you reading but maybe it should be what kind of books are you listening to right now <laughs> uh, you told me about the tapestries of life which i'm definitely going to look up yeah Yeah and the one before that was the one device by Brian Merchant it's it's all about the iPhone it's really fascinating it's so good i mean to me it was very well thoroughly done research it it encompasses uh, the ha- hardware soft software manufacturing all the innovation and and um e-waste Wow, I really enjoyed listening to that. And uh, okay, the genre I would say anything uh, science, technology, sometimes philosophy, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, I don't know what should I say. The books like Becoming by Michelle Obama. Mm, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, that was very good. Uh, I re- I also heard the Moment of the by Melinda Gates. Oh okay yeah I know I know she has a book but I don't know the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so yeah I I also do read such books like some memoirs yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah those can be really fun especially if I actually have read a few by people I didn't even like really know anything about and that was really fascinating like I just for example read Brandy Carlyle's memoir I think it's called Broken Horses but I don't listen she's a musician I don't listen to her music but I knew of her but her book was just fascinating. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I I make a note of it. What is it? Uh her book's called Broken Horses. It's Brandy Carlyle. 
she's a musician. Uh-huh. Like I said, I've never really listened to her, but the book was amazing. Do you play music? Uh, I have in the past and I have a keyboard now that I, that I dabble at while nobody can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you're into music. Maybe that's why you're drawn to. Yeah. And like my coworker, who's also a really good friend of mine, she really likes Brandy Carlisle. And so I was kind of just like, I don't know, wanted to learn more as, you know. Oh, okay. And it, it was available from the library. I, you know. Yeah. It was good. Otherwise, any specific genre that you're drawn to? I typically read um, a lot of science fiction. I read a lot of, you know, science, nature, that type of books. I sometimes like historical fiction, but it kind of depends. And yeah, I read some memoirs and stuff too. So mm. that's my sort of thing. But I'm always looking for book recommendations. So this is like, it's not a secret anymore because I keep asking, but you know, like, well, let's see what people around the world are reading. <laughs> you, if you have iPhone, you must read that book. I mean, I don't have an device. iPhone, but I mean, I'm sure it's fascinating. <laughs> so These are great recommendations. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? It's nice uh, talking to you. It kind of took me to my to my past some good old times yeah <laughs> i must say that yeah thanks for doing this podcast my penguin year have you read that uh no i haven't my penguin year yeah that's that's a that's a good one so by a yeah award-winning photographer who spent a year there obviously yeah. and uh, to get the shoot to photo shoot for to make take the photos of penguins their life cycle and things like that it's awesome yeah okay well that sounds right up my alley i'm gonna have to read that hey yeah because you like photography right so you Uh should yeah and penguins (laughs) who doesn't like penguins (laughs) hey otherwise i want to ask in the news it was uh, mentioned this week that u.s is baking the pacific northwest area yeah they had like this I don't, yeah, like crazy heat wave. And, you know, a lot of, you know, it doesn't normally get that hot there. So a lot of houses and stuff don't have air conditioning and things like that. How is it where you are? It's been normal where I am. I mean, it's been 95 Fahrenheit, which is like low 30s Celsius every day, which is normal for here. Um, Pretty high humidity. It's been raining a lot. Uh, That's pretty normal for here. Um, mm. it's miserable but it's normal <laughs> so. uh, high humidity and raining that, that yeah, it's, sounds it's like pretty disgusting <laughs> yeah I, I asked my coworker the other day and I was like you know I used to do winter field work why did I stop doing that and do summer field work that was dumb <laughs> like winter field work here here at least is very comfortable because it's you know not actually that cold here summer is like quite hot and yeah uh, I should I should I should have gone back to that <laughs> miserable you, you you can you can have a choice or I thought it's related to the project and irrespective of the season you have to do it no yeah it was a different it was a different project I worked on the project where I did winter field work um I was studying birds that were wintering in Louisiana so they were only here you know in the winter well, now I'm doing wetland stuff and we need to do things during peak growth, which is, you know, smack in the middle of summer. So yeah, it's just dependent on like what your project is and what you're trying to achieve. Some things can be year round if they're, you know, 
But yeah, this stuff, full on summer. It's pretty miserable out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so September, autumn begins in September? Well, I mean, I think it's supposed to, but it's really more like mid-October where it cools off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in like September, it starts to feel okay in the morning. You're like, fall is coming. Where is it? Like, it'll be here eventually. <laughs> like, slightly less miserable. Um, August <laughs> is the worst, in my opinion. It's just the worst. Why? Um, it's just because it's like, I, I feel like it's the hottest month and also like it's the middle of field season, so I'm tired of it. And I'm just like, you know, getting burnt out and it's a lot of things going into it. Partly the weather, partly just, you know, the timing. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, after every every intense uh, field visit, you get a couple of days off to recover and, you know, get back with the full vigor. Yes. Thank uh, you. I must I say that, you know, when I was doing experiments as part uh, for one of the projects, I found that I was awful, utterly awful with experiments. So I admire people who do experiments. <laughs> I think I think it's something in them that can make the experiments work. I was absolutely awful. <laughs> That's why I had to go back to computations. I thought, okay, even if I crash any number of course it doesn't matter but with experiments no one has to be careful (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah I I do a lot of field work and like all the projects we do there are I mean I guess they are experiments but they're like very systematic and they're done every year and it's like long-term stuff and so at this point we just like kind of know what the issues could be and just like bring all the equipment we might need with us but yeah if you put me in a lab though like I I can't help you. I don't know what any of this stuff is. <laughs> like I got nothing. <laughs> so you you are you are very much an outdoor person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Except on the weekend. Like so it's funny because like during field season, like I'm in the field, you know, every day, all week for months on end or whatever. But then on the weekends, I'm like, I'm not going outside. Like I'm gonna stay inside <laughs> and I'm gonna just drink a bunch of water and maybe take a nap yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. not going outside. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to experience some comfort before getting into the wild. Yeah. Like I just got to re- recuperate basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So is it like, uh, because there are so many, so many factors that would affect your measurements, right? So it's like you do, when you go out, it's like from nine to six, you're out there collecting the data that, that would be very intense, right? Yeah, it, it just sort of depends. Like a lot of times, um, like what time we start will depend on like date, what time sunrise is, what the weather looks like it's doing, you know. So like, for example, yesterday, um, we were doing it as a day trip. So we were just, you know, going to the, we were leaving from our houses and work or whatever, going to the boat launch, doing and then going on the field and then coming back and going home. So I was like, okay, it's, you know, two hour drive for me to the boat launch, but 45 minutes for them. So I was like, well, let's just meet at 830, which is later than I normally like to get started at the boat launch. But like, it was only one site and it wasn't a very long boat ride and it wasn't going to rain till the afternoon. And I was like, it's fine. And so we just, you know, so sometimes the start time is kind of variable. Sometimes we're in the field sunrise to almost sunset. Like sometimes it's only a couple hours. It just sort of depends on like what the weather's doing, how much we actually can do from like that specific location. Like if we have sites that are close together from the same boat launch, or if we have to pick up and relaunch somewhere else. So mm-hmm. it just sort of depends on like, and how quickly we can get things done. 
you know, or if, if we're in the airboat, is the airboat going to get stuck? Are we, how long is that going to take us? You know, so we don't always get things done as quickly as we would like, but sometimes we get things done as quick as we would like. And, and that's a win. So Mm, yeah. So it's very variable and like constantly in a state of flux. And basically every night I'm like, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? Like, what do we have permission to do? Mm. What like, you know, to access sites to access, you know, what's mm. the weather looking like? Is one area better than somewhere else? And every night I'm just Actually, like, all right, yeah. this is tomorrow's plan. <laughs> Actually, that reminded me, you know, when we had to uh as part of one of the projects, we had to mount sensors. Uh, to collect the data for a couple of months or rather one year, I think, not a couple of months. Yeah. So for that, we need to go to the risk because the sensors will be mounted in the, obviously in Singapore, in the city, on the lampposts or wherever is possible. We had to take the permission from the respective agencies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so how does it work for you? Because you're working out there in the field, right? Mm-hmm. How early you have to uh, uh, send the applications and how long it will take for approval? Because we found that this is all quite a long, tedious process because yeah, there are so many other parties involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for us, uh, so I work on a pro- the projects, the Coastwide Reference Monitoring System, we call it CRIMS. So if anybody wants to Google that, you just Google Crims wetlands or something and it'll pop up. Um, and it's like 390 permanent monitoring sites across coastal Louisiana. And a lot of those sites are on private land. And so we have to reach out before we go, we reach out to the landowner and ask for like, okay, we were going this day. This is what we want to do. And they know what we're doing because it's all in the like agreement okay. that they have. And then, you know, we want to go these days, like, is that okay? And they say yes or no or whatever. Um, so the, the, there's like a contract between the state and the landowners. And so we just have to let them know we're going, uh-huh. make sure that's okay with them. And usually it's an email. Some people want phone calls. Usually it's nothing more than that, just than that information in email. And they just write back, okay, go ahead, you know, whatever. Um, or, you know, if they have questions, it's, it's not... It's not too complicated usually. Um, I mean, and you know, some of it's on public land. So there's not really other agencies involved usually. So it's just email, a system of emails mainly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's, that's, I think, I think it could be because these monitoring stations are already out there, right? Yeah, they were all installed between like 2005 and 2009-ish. Uh, huh. And so they've been there a while. So they've been collecting data for 15 some years. Um, so most of these landowners, you know, they, they know like this is, we'd go every summer or we go a couple times a year or whatever. Um, and so it's mm. not like it's an unexpected request. Like they, they know that they get these on a regular mm. basis. Um, it's just mm-hmm. a, you know, you don't want to go access land without them knowing you're going to be out there or whatever um mm-hmm. so okay okay yeah but it's if you no have issue. to if you but if you have to say in your work uh, you realize that oh maybe this data is not sufficient we have to put some more sensors somewhere out there in that then you have to again go through the official process mm-hmm. right 
Yeah, yeah. it doesn't happen too much. Um, typically, okay. the sites uh, are fairly, mostly fairly stable. They have a water sensor like that records on the hour. Um, and those sometimes like the equipment fails and you have to replace the equipment, but you don't have to like move it or anything. You just replace oh, the okay. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, every, there's been a few sites where like the site just sort of eroded and then it was all open water. And so then we've gone and like pulled out all of the equipment. Um, but that's pretty rare. We've only had a couple of those that I'm aware of. So just like Mm. stuff like that, but mainly it's just, it all just stays there and we just keep monitoring and, you know, it's the, the goal is long-term data set. And so we're just, even if it's in decline, we're going to keep monitoring that because that's information we can use, you know? So yeah, we don't usually have to like move stuff really. Okay. And if you don't mind (laughs) another question, because it's wildlife thing. uh, Did, did it ever happen that your uh, monitoring equipment was tampered by any wildlife out there? Yeah, sometimes. Um, We have like PVC poles that mark edges of plots, you know. Sometimes like a nutria will nibble on it or pull it up or whatever. Um, We've had alligators lay eggs in in plots before. Because they don't care about the PVC pole, you know, whatever. They're just like where they wanted to go nest. It's like <laughs> birds have messed with equipment, you know, but it's all fairly minor stuff, really. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah that's nice. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's minor, it's okay. It's yeah. not like you put a costly equipment there and then a bird takes away. <laughs> yeah. That's not too bad, usually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was so much fun to get to talk to you one on one and learn more about what you do. Yeah, it's really nice talking to you too. Yeah. A lot to learn every time we talk. I know. I learn more about you every time. It's awesome. (laughs) Hey, y'all. It's Rachel here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I just wanted to have a quick reminder that if you or a friend or someone you think would be a good guest, if you have any people like that, let me know or send them my way in some way. Um, And how you can do that is you can find me on Twitter at Flying Cypress. You can find the podcast on Facebook at Storytellers of STEM. That's STEM with two M's. We also have a shiny new Twitter account for the podcast. So you can find the podcast on Twitter at Storytellers42. Yes, I'm a nerd. You can also email me, storytellersofstem at gmail.com. Or you can find me and everything else on my website, rachelvelani.com. So you have loads of ways to get in touch with me. I want to hear from you. Go like the Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. Follow all the storytellers on Twitter since they're mostly all there. And just, you know, have a good day. And thank you for listening.